Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the VPZD Show. I'm Dr. Zubin Demania, a.k.a. ZDogMD, a.k.a. Dr. Z, a.k.a. Zdog. And this is Dr. Vinay Prasad. Vinay, what's up, dog? It's good to be here. Dr. Vinay Prasad here from University of California, San Francisco. We're both very much invested in trying to make sense of science and policy and the intersection of them both, and that's the nature of this podcast. It's been a crazy uh, couple weeks, right, Vinay? There, this Omicron has it fulfilled its destiny as the most contagious thing uh, ever, uh, while it the appears that um, severity. It appears there's finally a variant that also infects rich people too, and so that's changed a lot of things. Now that you can affect <laughs> a few rich people, yeah. So that's changed people's perspective on this pandemic, I think. It sure has. In fact, it used to be you would shame, you know, there was a sense of shame mm-hmm. with getting right. infected. And right. now people are like, oh, yeah, no, pretty much everyone's got it. Uh, so it wasn't about me and my masking and my distancing. One interesting piece of data here that I just have to say, I just spoke to a friend who works at a large health system in the Bay Area. Their positivity rates on screening pre-op, all right, um, it are roughly 8 to 10%. So in other words, these are people who were told, hey, don't try not to get COVID because you're going to have an elective procedure and screening them, they're 10. So everybody is getting Omicron, no matter what the mitigation measures are. Even when they quote unquote did did everything right. Even when they did everything right. They did everything right. They they stayed home. They masked up. They ordered DoorDash so someone else could get sick instead of them. And they still got positive. Now, and the, the, the symptomatic rates are something like, I think he said roughly, I don't know, in the 20% range were completely asymptomatic. About 43% were mildly symptomatic uh, in people they were testing in general. Uh, so it's, it's some interesting data. Very interesting. I think it tells us that Omicron is widespread. Omicron is... Um, you know, vaccines are great at protecting you against severe disease or death, but vaccines don't appear to be doing all that much in slowing transmission. And so we have vaccine effectiveness data from Ontario in 37 percent, from Denmark, that's also rather on the low side. Um, and so I think Omicron is the thing that um, to some degree is a great equalizer in terms of getting you sick. People are getting sick who have been unvaccinated, people who have been vaccinated, people who are young, people who are old, people who are poor, people who are rich. So, you know, it is that great equalizer. And in that sense, it has taken away a lot of the stigma, the moralizing. People are now saying, hey, don't shame me just because I got it, you know? Whereas before, I, I personally think that was always unacceptable, but before they were, they were happy to do it. They were more than happy to do it. I'll say a lot of kids in my uh, kids' schools are out positive. Um, it's now completely destigmatized. Like everyone just assumes everyone is positive, which it's, it's really interesting, uh, Vinay, because one thing I, I, I really <laughs> – in a seasonal cold with a coronavirus, if we were to test the entire population, I think the numbers would look like this. In a normal seasonal cold, I'm speculating, but I and editorializing, but I think they would look exactly. No, like I mean this. You're, you make a great point. Nobody knows because we never, you know, had never so much it. availability of testing. Right? Yeah, to swab you with every little tickle in your throat every winter. You're right. Exactly. My kids are like the only kids in their school that have been opted out of the pooled antigen testing. So all the kids leave class once a day to go get tested, and they're the only two who sit there, and they get to party and have snacks and all that. And uh, I'm sure, and they ask me, they're like, well, so why are we not testing? And I'm like, because what will we change? If if you have symptoms, we're going to keep you home. Right now, every single person <laughs> has a date with this thing, you know? That's what I think. I mean, I think that that's, yeah. that's what it's leading to the realization. So it's interesting. So they don't have to go and poo, poo, 
spit into that tube trying to muster up whatever saliva you can to spit into that tube and and what is it you need to get like one ml or one and a half ml a certain amount of spit you have to produce there's an amount of excreta that needs to be produced vinai and i'll say this i've been no, I've been spending my entire life trying to teach these little buttholes not to spit. And now, now their school is institutionalizing it. So, you know, it and, is what And it then is. what do they do? They take, they take a little spit from everyone's tube and mix it into a big ball of spit. That sounds wonder- lovely. And then they test that big ball of spit. And if that spit's got any COVID in it, then they go back and test each individual spit. Is that, is that more or less what they do? That sounds correct, yeah. And uh, I don't understand the point when Omicron has a a, a screening positivity rate of, of over 8%. <laughs> but I'm curious, Already. have they found any in the spit yet? You know, I don't know because I get the emails every single day and the texts every single day saying positive, 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 and I ignore them. I just delete them because oh, what is it going to oh, change? They, they yeah. do send – oh, you do. Oh, they're positive oh, yeah. though. Oh, oh okay, yeah. Okay. My phone blows up all day, every day. What is surprising, Vinay, is that they've actually pulled their heads out in this – I'm editorializing – that uh, school is still open. And I know some friends in some private schools here in the Bay, school has become virtual for the first few weeks because Mm, the rich parents are like, well, you know, we have the resources to keep these kids home and we don't want them bringing home Omicron, even though we already probably have it. So there's that. Can't afford them getting the butler sick, you know? Who knows? (laughs) Jeeves, if Jeeves goes on a vet, all bets are off. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. The butler, the cook, and the au pair, and the nanny, they can't afford getting them sick. Sure. Sure. And the household manager that manages all of them. Of course, the household manager. Yeah, who doesn't? Who doesn't have a household manager? So, you know, there's so much to talk about. Um, I've got a, I mean, I want to talk about Novak Djokovic. You know, that's the talk of the town. I want to talk about boosters. And I want to talk about, somebody had a nice thread. It was called, you know, um, the most cringeworthy COVID-19 tweets. And I got to, I got to read some to you and get your take on him. Uh, Where should we begin? I want to begin with the tennis player. What do you think? Yeah, do it because I know nothing about this. So you can teach me and I can respond. Well, I guess I don't, to be honest, now I feel guilty because I haven't, I don't know that much about it. <laughs> I'm a, I, was a, I was a Roger Federer fan. I'm a Federer fan. So, ah, you know, okay, but, but Djokovic is good too. So he's a tennis player, elite tennis player. I think, you know, he, he's often number one world's tennis player. I think he probably is in this moment. Um, and uh, he had COVID-19. He's 34 years old. He had had COVID-19. He recovered from COVID-19. And I'm not an expert, but I see him run around for like, you know, five hours. So I suspect he's in good physical shape. He's probably in a little bit better shape than I am. I was just doing a little exercise and... I think I had myocarditis. It was something was something was not it was not clicking. <laughs> I, I like how you're virtue signaling your exercise. I do that too. I'm like, well, I, you know, I got back to, from the gym, and uh, so now back. we're doing the show. Obviously, I'm you huge. Know. Yeah, and I I got back. Yeah, from, huge. From, from my heart uh, is huge from the myocarditis. Yeah, right. Yes. <laughs> from the ballooning myocarditis. Yeah, yeah. But you know, the C- CDC says it's still inconclusive. You know, it's inc- no. Okay. All right. Anyway. Anyway. Uh, so so you know, here 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 he is, um, Djokovic, 34, elite athlete, had COVID, recovered, and I guess he was going to play in the Australian Open. They have a policy that you got to be vaccinated. Uh, I don't know all his thinking, but I suspect he doesn't want to be vaccinated. And he has, like many people, the, um, what is it called? Uh, religious excuse. Or, you know, he has, he has, oh, some, yeah, yeah, right. yeah, yeah, he has yeah. something he submitted. But I think the officials at the tennis, whatever, uh, organization, they granted it. They said, like, yeah, sure, we accept your your note. Um, but then the Australian government, but there's the Australian government didn't, and he's not allowed to be there. His visa has been revoked, and he's asked to go back. Ah, that's right. And I think he's Serbian. And um, but here's what I think is interesting, Z. Um, 
I look at my Twitter feed and it's everybody's got an opinion on this guy, you know? Why doesn't Novak Djokovic do the right thing? Why doesn't he do the right thing and set a good example? Why doesn't he do the right thing? He shouldn't be allowed to play. You don't play by the rules. You don't get to play. You don't get to play. Meanwhile, there's three billion people in the world who haven't gotten dose one. (laughs) You know, I'm like... I don't know. Can I say it? Like, who gives a shit? Who gives a shit if this one young elite guy who had COVID and recovered, if he gets vaccinated, who cares? Who cares? Why do you care? Why do you care? It doesn't matter to you. It doesn't matter to anybody. Because you know what? He has natural immunity. He's not going to be the super spreader at the Australian Open. Um, You know, I mean, come on. Get off your high horse. Focus on what matters. All these people who don't even have a dose. This is the rationalist position that you and I are trying to espouse, and sometimes we fall into one camp or another, and we're victims of our own hive mind. But I'll say this: this is pure. This is pure theater, right? It's purely tribalized projection of virtue, and because uh, again, it doesn't matter with this guy; he's got immunity. It doesn't matter what he's projecting to the world because people have already made their decisions on the vaccine. We're in a stage in the pandemic where you can. Be a, be a grown up and make whatever decision you want. And it's probably not going to affect that many people around you because this thing is so widespread. We're truly in the libertarian phase of the pandemic, if that's such a thing, in, in which case everyone has the tools and the resources and the autonomy to make a decision to modulate their risk in whatever way they see fit. And the community effects are there, but they're much smaller than, say, a vaccine that prevented 99% of transmission, right? This does not do that. So, We're in a position now where I think we can treat people as adults and let's start to come up with policy solutions that don't wave the policy hammer in a way that uh, uh, doesn't understand that because it's crazy. But yeah, so the Djokovic thing is a perfect, just a perfect example of that 34-year-old guy who had COVID and now they're not letting him play. That's just nuts. And you can apply that to the college situation too, right? Like Uh, how we're treating these college students. That's where we should come to next. Yeah. The last thing I want to say about Djokovic is like, I mean, how would you make the argument? Let's say you actually think like he really ought to do it. Could you actually look him in the eye and say like, dude, it's in your absolute personal best interest to do this? I think it's difficult because one, he's super healthy. Two, he's had it and cleared it. And so I've never, you know, so we can debate the, the fraction of the risk of reinfection. I suspect at some point he'll be reinfected. But I think that he already had a low IFR, and the IFR, the second go-around, is going to be super low in this guy. And so it's going to be hard to improve upon a super, super low number. Then the next part of the argument is like, well, can you tell him, look him in the eye and say, by you doing it, it will slow the spread in Australia um, or help other people. And the challenges with that are, you know, we don't really have great data on vaccine effectiveness of two shots after natural infection versus natural infection alone with Omicron. And I mean, what we do have is Ontario province data showing something like 16% vaccine effectiveness for mild disease and 37% with dose three um, in somebody who didn't have natural infection on top of that. So I think, you know, it's really difficult to look this guy in the eye and say, you're helping yourself or helping others. And so I think it's a lot of virtue signaling as always. Yeah, and I think you're right. And I think that ties right back into how we intro this thing in the Bay Area experience. Yeah. Bay Area experience, we have an 81% vaccine penetrance and we have masking everywhere. We have mandates. We have pretty draconian sort of sphincter tone culturally as a hive mind here, which is all fine. That's all fine. That's a local adaptation to what they feel is important. Great. Uh, what do we have? <laughs> 8% asymptomatic <laughs> screening positivity. That Omicron is everywhere, vaccinated, unvaccinated, et cetera. So- 
in the end, we're in a part now where I, I just don't think um, we're thinking very clearly about mitigation the way that we, you know, and, and the situation has changed. It's not Z-Dog, every, everyone's going to get a booster. That booster's name is Omicron. That's what I looking like. Oh, yeah, you know, it's oh be, I like it's that. It's a booster. Yeah, it's a boost in you like Oma boost. Oma boost. You don't even have to go in to get that, you know. You don't have to get a Fauci out. You don't have to get a Fauci outie. You can just get Fauci out. You just go to the supermarket with yeah. your cloth mask and which exhale is or inhale. Yeah, and, yeah, exactly. And by the way, permeable. now, fi- yeah, you know, I wrote that you know, I don't know, sixty-page article um, with you know three hundred references arguing that cloth masks are uh, insufficient uh, for this respiratory virus. And now, finally, it's in vogue to like say that, say that, that's just say true. that. Yeah, yeah. Right, it's right. like Vinay. Vinay was right, but he was right at the wrong time. Yeah, of course. So, of course, right yeah. at the wrong time. Mm-hmm. So the next mm-hmm. point college students on campus z you know there's nothing better than being a triple vaxxed triple vaxxed college student who also had omicron of course and then your college emails you to say just to be safe we're going to remote learn um remote learn for the month of january i mean or i don't know what's worse remote learn at least then nobody watches what you do and you can go have fun or or maybe what's worse is they bring you into the dorm room and you're not allowed to leave the room and you have to spit, you know, twice a week to prove your fealty to Lord COVID. Um, and then you have to, um, you know, you, you have to get your takeout container and eat that sad college food in your room. And, um, you know, you have to you have to engage in all relationships virtually. You know, the, obviously the best kinds of relationships are virtual relationships. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of uh, credence in that. Uh, I'll be honest. There's something there. No, 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 dude. No, no, no. Yeah. So let me let me let me make a meta statement about this because yeah. I think this is important. I think it's good to kind of state what our biases are up front because it does. There is a there's a, a tribal collective hive mind around each of these concepts. So there's the Covidian thesis hive mind, which is the collective of feeling that anything we can do to lower risk of getting this virus for any age has to be done. And I think that's the extreme, right? And what's interesting is in the college environment, the extreme is the main sort of uh, operating system of how they're how they're managing things, how they're actually implementing policy in these elite institutions. Uh, so we have that. Then you have the antithesis position, the COVIDiot position. And again, I'm using the pejorative terms here that they call each other. Um, which is like, no, like we shouldn't be doing anything. These these kids are completely unharmed by COVID and they can't harm anyone else and they shouldn't be masked, they shouldn't be bothered and everything should be wide open. And I think where you and I, at least my bias is towards this synthesis corpus callosum position that ties these hemispheres together and says, yeah. no, the truth is probably more nuanced and complex. So when we sit here, which we do often, um, some some people will criticize us and say, well, it seems like you are more on the COVIDiot side or you're more on the thesis side or whatever. But the truth is, no, we're trying to find what is the synthesis position that bridges uh, actually truth from all these in a in a in the least hiveless way that we that we can manage it, and it's difficult. So when we talk about schools, both of us express outrage, like this is crazy. These are young people at relatively low risk because they've been vaccinated already, because they're young people, and the risk to their learning, the risk to their social experience, the risk to the social fabric, the risk to their mental health. And I will add one more thing and say, the risk to their future conditioning of what is mm-hmm. okay to do is, I would say, and I, I'm going to hyperbolize a little, it's existential to our future cultural success, right? I, I just don't see this as a good thing at all. That's really well put. And I think we should also be a little bit clear that, um, you know, where we have been on this spe- you have a nice spectrum from, what do you call it, COVIDiot, that's do nothing. And what's the other end of the spectrum? Yeah. 
Covidian, which is like Covidian. Oh, right. <laughs> Lord Covid. Yeah, we have to worship yes, exactly. at the altar. Okay, Covidian and Covidiot. That's an interesting spectrum. I like it. Um, but there, it's true. I mean, I think there are people fall along that spectrum. And I think, you know, I think the other thing to point out is that you and I, we our position has shifted a little bit pre mm. and post vaccine. Um, you know, pre vaccine, I think you can make the case that like lots of things that delay the time until you meet the virus are very laudable because you are going to meet the virus with a virgin immune system, which ain't so good. Uh, especially when you even get to our ages, when we're not even that old, right, Z? We're not that old. Um, but, you know. You're not that old. Speak for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> well, you didn't see me on this exercise today. I wasn't, I wasn't doing so hot. But, okay, yeah. So so that's where we were, you know, in 2020, and people can go back and watch those videos. We, we looked a lot better back then. Um, a lot less gray. Um, uh, then you go forward, um, and you have the vaccine, and you also have changing strains, and you have Omicron, then I think it is natural that one's position on that scale will shift. Um, I think one of the problems with the COVIDian position was, even in the beginning, was that some of them were so draconian they would um, cut their nose to spite their face. I mean, that some of the restrictions they were doing were more deleterious than, than the risks that they were averting, such as school closure. That's a great example. Um, the problem with the COVIDian in the first year was, you know, if you were an older person, 60 years old, and the vaccine was going to be there in eight months or 12 months, you know, you wouldn't want to go out of your way to get it. You know, there maybe are some things you'd be willing to put on hold a little bit to avoid it. Um, but I think in general, if I were to say, I think most of the mainstream media was on the COVIDian side and probably the COVIDian side was maybe more unfairly treated because um, they largely fell outside of the elite classes. And so they didn't really have a voice. Um but yeah, I think it's an interesting spectrum. And again, yeah, I don't think we're here. I mean, I'm certainly not defending any extreme poll. It's just where we are in the moment. It just doesn't make sense. So I mean, I, you, you can look at it any way you want, but you zoom out on America and you look at everyone and you go out and you drive two hours outside of San Francisco and you'll see people in restaurants and bars and people living normal life. There's no COVID out there, apparently. Um, you know, <laughs> um, a lot of people are doing normal things, travel. And in a few isolated pockets, we've taken rich affluent 20-year-olds at elite universities and subject them to the greatest restrictions. It just doesn't make sense. I mean, it's just not what it makes no sense at all. And and these are our future leaders, right? So Some of they are now conditioned to believe in this sort of world of safetyism where you, this is how you reduce risk when risk isn't, we're not even understanding it correctly. So I, I think that's why we need more voice. Now, what's interesting is so, so where on this spectrum, where would you put a Jay Bhattacharya, say, someone who ha is an elite, he is uh, at elite institutions, Martin Kulldorff, um, Marty McCary, I, I, personally, I don't think these are on the COVIDiot spectrum, no, even I though they're so. they're espousing some antithesis values. They're in an integral, um, this more alt middle kind of what I call that this sort of corpus callosum that's bridging, uh, trying to find truth. And but the thing is, they look really antithesis because the like you said, the mainstream collective leadership and media in most of the country, not all of it, is COVIDian is full-on thesis, like hardcore. And and that's where I think it gets back to the Twitter thing with yeah, the tennis player. It's kind of like, well, these are the guys that are then signaling on Twitter. No, he needs to do the right thing and get vaccinated, absolutely. And they're not really looking at like the nuance in that at all. They're seeing it from that sort of tribal perspective. 
I just want to say something there. I mean, you, you're making a really great point, which is there's two spectrums, maybe. There's the spectrums of average everyday Americans, and it's hard to know where they fall because we don't get to hear all their voices. And there's the spectrums of the elites. And, you know, whether Jay and Martin and, and Marty want to admit, and myself and you want to admit, but, you know, we are part of the, I mean, we're all professionals, we're doctors, we're professors, we're et cetera, et cetera. Uh, we're part of that sort of elite cohort. In the elite cohort, the spectrum is heavily skewed towards uh, Covidian policies, like excessive restriction sort of policies. And so Martin and Jay are probably rather centrist, I think, if you look across the grand spectrum of views. Um, and uh, um, But, you know, that said, like, you know, I think I've always said I think the failure was we didn't have a dialogue with them. I didn't sign the GBD. Um, but I think that there were a lot of things in the GBD I liked. I mean, and I think a lot of things we could have all agreed on. I think everyone who could have agreed at that moment in time that schools is the most important and nursing homes need special protections. We didn't do that. That was part of the GBD. The part that I think we may have had some disagreement on was, you know, at the time they were saying that, um, you know, even even perhaps bars should be open for 20-year-olds. Now, okay, that's that's a place where there could have been some dialogue. I'm not saying they're right or wrong. I actually don't know the answer about the fall of 2020. Um, but what I am saying is that they were unfairly portrayed as being, you know, the, the people called them let it rip. They actually did not say that. I don't think so. I don't even know who coined that phrase. That wasn't their point of view. Their point of view was that um, you need to deeply protect some pockets and let a lot of normal society function insofar as people voluntarily choose to function, which we know won't be 100% because people will change their behaviors um, without restrictions. Uh, so I think their position is not really fairly characterized. But anyway, I think go on. I think that's very I think that's well put. And I think um, just for people who don't remember the, or don't know our nomenclature, GBD is Great Barrington Declaration. Mm-hmm. Uh, and. I, I got to say this, one of the interesting phenomenon of the, the sort of collective hive minds that have appeared, right, is that a guy like Jay, a guy like Martin, um, even Marty McCary, they will only get um, broadcast on platforms that tend to favor the more uh, antithesis side of the spectrum, like the Fox News or the you know Breitbart or whatever it is, the more conservative outlets. And it's a little unfair to that message because it then further polarizes the message. But that's our mainstream media ecosystem that we have. And until we can until we can build those bridges, those more alt middle sort of uh, projecting projection platforms. And I think yours is one, I'm trying to make one where we can say, oh, no, 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 here, you know, you can have Paul Offit on in one day and you can have Jay Bhattacharya the other day and and they are both trying to weave a, some kind of truth and there's zero politics. Like you don't feel that there's, you couldn't tell who they're voting for. You know what I you mean? Know, you're absolutely right. And I think that's like such a key point, which is that um, the main ecosystems you know, they didn't want to engage with people they view outside of their very narrow worldview to their de- detriment. I mean, a great example. I just saw some something that says, like, look at the difference in viewership between Joe Rogan and CNN. He's crushing them, you know. Um, mm. Joe Rogan, he's willing to talk to people all over the place. I mean, isn't he? I mean, I've, I've, he's every time somebody gets banned or canceled, they go on Rogan and they talk. And, you know, you often see, as you and I both saw with McCullough, there are some things that we think are not quite right. You often see kernels that you think are right in people who hold these positions. Um, and then when he had Sanjay Gupta, same thing. You'll see a lot of things I think are yeah. not right with Sanjay's positions. Um, but Rogan, I think, is filling that void. Mainstream media needs to reconsider what their goals are in life. I mean, their goals have to be to broadcast a range of views and not to just feed their audience the same very narrow set of ideas. 
and, you know, and I'll say this, this peacetime approach of deplatforming, say, uh, vaccine hesitancy or that kind of thing, mm-hmm. or, or using mainstream media to not give equal time to crazy ideas, that doesn't work anymore because a, a, a Rogan, who is honestly, I'm going to say something that's I don't think is controversial, but people will take it controversially. Rogan is a synthesis guy. He yeah, is trying he is. to find truth. He's curious. He's inquisitive. He's smart. Now, where he, I think has some bias that he may or may not recognize is that he does tend to platform people who get deplatformed elsewhere Correct. because he sees it as a direct, you know, attack on free speech and so on and he tends to lean a little conspiratorial. So That's really well put. Yeah, in fact anything he goes he he disproportionately platforms the deplatformed, you know, not like proportionately platforms the deplatformed. Yeah. Exactly right. Exactly right. Exactly right. And then when he gets he gets a, a, a thesis guy on, he gets he picks somebody like Gupta, and Gupta is not the best person. Like a you like Vinay going on Rogan would be amazing because you share a heterodox suspicion of the financial motives in healthcare, the actual outcomes, and so on. But you can also speak quite clearly to the scientific virtues of some thesis position stuff without engaging in any conspiracy stuff, which I think will be really interesting. But so a guy like Rogan then fills the void when the mainstream media fails, and then he gets pilloried by the mainstream media. Oh, you know, they're just self I mean, I think they're just, they, yeah, they, they cover him jealous. because their ratings are in the toilet. They Covering him helps yep. them. Before we run out of time, we got, I got to take you through this thread because I think <laughs> I want to see your reaction to some of these. This was, um, this is what, um, I don't know, somebody who goes by the name of Polar Bear PhD on Twitter says, it's time for the dumbest tweet of 2021 contest. Put your nominees in the replies, screenshots preferred. Retweet this and like your favorite nominees. I started with a few of my favorites. Okay, so here you go. Here are some of the favorites from... Dumbest tweets of 2021, and I'll try not to humiliate the people who said these things. Although, oh, why, why, why are you pulling punches? These are public <laughs> tweets. <laughs> they are. Well, people can go check them. Uh, yeah, yeah. In insofar as it's relevant, I think maybe I'll say. Okay, this is one. I mean, this is these are this is a professor of epidemiology. Genuine question for people more concerned about schools being closed than COVID. Are you aware mandatory schooling is barely a century old in this country? Maybe all your grandparents had high school, but what about your great grandparents? Education is important, but it's a pandemic! Exclamation mark. Z dog thoughts. You know. You, you, <laughs> 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 yeah, you know what? You guys know about like hygiene and sanit and and sewage, right? Like that's only about a five hundred years old. Like we could go back to the Roman times when you would just shit in the street. Like what? I mean, come on, it's a pandemic, fam. What are we doing? <laughs> this is madness. madness. This is absolutely like the one thing that's raised people out of poverty. That's actually solidified civilization in a positive way, which is this mandatory education of children. Like humans are unique in that we really teach our offspring what is important and continue our cultural, like we evolve outside of the physics of evolution in our biology to the new sphere, the mind sphere. And this is how we do it with children. It's the only outlet for poor kids to actually rise up short of becoming a rapper or a basketball star. And and, and, And this is the tweet. And this is a professor of epidemiology. You know, which has only been around for a hundred years. Before that, we just put sewage in the in the well water. Okay, here's another exactly. one. Professor, professor from Europe, um, saying, you know, how to make your cloth mask a little bit, how to how to beef it up a little, little bit. And this was January 2021. Exactly what I do: putting a in parentheses, clean, obviously. 
panty liner on the inside of the buff makes it into a very effective filter. <laughs> so this person, <laughs> obviously a clean <laughs> panty liner in the mask. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was going to say, if it wasn't clean, it sounds like some kind of Japanese fetish that would show up online. Like, that's just a thing. But, th- okay, really? So at this point, you start to question the, the, and we've talked about this before, There is there are mental perturbations around cleanliness and OCD and these kind of uh, fixations around these things. And when you weaponize that through a <laughs> pandemic, Facebook, and a professorship in whatever, this this happens. This. One one more, same speaker. Um, but also thinking laterally. One issue in my college dining room is poor acoustics. People talk louder and louder just to be heard. I would play maybe live music, and people st- and people can eat in near silence and walk out afterwards to do their chatting. So, what do you think about that? that- <laughs> <laughs> Just eat in near silence, okay? You know, I um I, look. I'm a fan of silence. Uh, I I've done this, this meditation retreat. It was the best experience of my life. Not talking to my fellow humans, but feeling their energy and that kind of hive mind that introspects where you're going internally. I love that. But this that's not what college is. <laughs> That's not what learning is. This is insane. He wants us to be unhuman. He wants to unhuman us or she. I'm sorry. I want to be an equal opportunity hater. Stop spreading COVID by talking. Be quiet. Uh, oh, <laughs> this is a blue blue check mark. Um, bothered by a new Christmas movie because it doesn't address COVID. I know it was shot. I, I know it was shot during the pandemic. So are we <laughs> pretending there's no virus? Can't we get a script about how they've managed to have a big maskless indoor party with strangers in 2021 and no vax or testing status convo conversations? So this person is angry by watching escapism in TV that doesn't acknowledge oh. the pandemic <laughs> wow it's like she she or he is criticizing a bad santa movie you know it's like <laughs> what, are, are you kidding me that, that, that's amazing it's like how the grinch stole you know in-person school like that now that's a movie i'd like to see right I wanna, the grinch would have come down and he'd go all the who's houses giving all the who's omicron <laughs> <laughs> Oh man! Could you imagine? You know, remember, remember what was the Seuss piece with the the Lorax, right? Who yes, represented yes. The, the trees? The trees. One yeah. of the most the most emotional. Like, you want to be become an environmentalist? Just watch that. Like that yeah. is beautiful storytelling. Now imagine you reimagine that um, where the Lorax actually represents children who have no political voice and no power and no um, uh, representative who've been robbed of their education, who've been, you know, masked at age two, who, you know, it's great that we have vaccines for them. And for some, it makes a lot of sense, but we're now mandating, you know, we're mandating boosters for teenagers. And CDC says now all teenagers should get booster shots. Like what would the Lorax yeah. in that situation oh, say? Oh, that's a beautiful idea. I speak for the kids who don't speak for themselves. Take the mask off their face. You have more on you. <laughs> oh okay. man. Okay. And no, go yeah, dance yeah. with the elves. Right. Exactly. Yeah, right. I mean, you, yeah. Man, that's a thing. Okay. We okay. should here's make a, that. Here's yeah. another one for you. Um, this is also an epidemiologist. Don't hold a Super Bowl party. Don't attend a Super Bowl party. Don't forget that any Super Bowl parties that do happen are partly the fault of the National Football League. Sports safety isn't a pandemic isn't just for the players. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. You know, in Can- the old days, like, 
Yeah, like, Puritans <laughs> would have said this stuff. Like, you know, you know, the, 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 the devil will be in you if you go, you know, if you spill your seed through masturbation. It's like, okay, I, yeah, I went to masturbation, Vinay, because that's what I do. But th- this is almost a puritanical moral panic that is expressing itself on Twitter. This is another good one. And this one, I have to say the name because it's sort of a notorious person that makes the, jo- the punchline of the joke. Um, the, na- the name of the person tweeting is Eric Figelding, who is... Of know, course. I, I kind of read your mind on this. Yeah, I was like, it's got to be Eric. Yeah, The king of um, fear, fear-mongering. Uh, although I think, But didn't he also relocate his family to Austria? While, while saying the U.S. school should be closed, he took his kids to go get school in <laughs> Europe. Anyway, this guy is a, a notorious fear-monger, gets a... Uh, I mean... I mean, the only person who gets angry f- anger from both co- Covidiots and Covidians about his being wrong is this guy. Okay, here's what he said. Quote, we are truly living a 10% existence right now under the coronavirus. When it comes to epic informative threads on COVID, I kowtow to Andy Slavitt, former uh, Obama official, and his daily rich insights. This thread was one of the best yet. Let's prevent epidemic from hitting 200K or even 100K deaths. And Andy Slavitt writes back, thanks, Eric. We all learn so much from you. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh that's a so you know this actually begs an interesting question Vinay who do you think has been most right in that space because like is it Mike Osterholm is it, like who is it who is it on which issue on all these issues on oh yeah that's good good question maybe area under the curve of not being wrong all the time I'd have to look back. You honestly have to look back and say, what did they say? Like, what were Osterholm's predictions? Like, what was going on? Because it's interesting, because if you look at the Omicron thing, when this first hit, when people were freaking out the first day that they described Omicron all over the media, uh, people were saying, oh, it's gonna be a crazy winter. The thing's gonna spread everywhere. It looks like it's already raged through South Africa. We don't know about severity. This is a disaster. And they were right in that, yeah, it's absolutely hyper, hyper, hyper uh, contagious. Uh, but they did not know about severity. And it looks like it's less severe from everything we can see so far. But so. What What is our track record here in general? So I guess I would say it's a good question. Um, and maybe the right way to think about it isn't who was right about what would have happened, but who was right about what the policies ought to have been. Oh. And I, okay. And I guess I would say the people who I think were right about what the policies should have been, because I think you can be right about what the policy should have been even while you may have been exactly wrong about what might have come. The policy was still the right answer even if what happened was slightly different. It would have been the right policy. So those right. people I would put um, – okay, people are not going to like this. I mean I think I think you need to go back and read John Yonidi's original March 17th stat piece. In many ways – he was he was forgivably wrong. He didn't see what was going to come. But in some ways, he was prophetic in terms of thinking how we can have all these self-inflicted wounds. I think Stefan Baral, Hopkins professor, sort of just a classic champion of like progressive liberal values in public health. He was really right. I think Monica was right about a lot of things um, uh, in terms of policy. Uh, people always, um, you know, harshly criticize her for specific estimates about uh, populations. Um, you know, and I'm somebody who's always avoid, you know, as, as many haters as I have, no one's made a threat of all the things I got wrong because I don't say, sort of, I don't make those kinds of predictions. Um, right. Marty, I think, was right about a lot of policy. I think um, 
Oh my goodness. What I uh Julia Marcus, she had a flash in the pan. She wrote all those beautiful columns for the Atlantic. She was really ahead of her time in terms of compassionate policy response. Um the other people I think about, uh, Francois Boulot from uh, University College uh, London. Um, uh, he He's really a geneticist and really sort of a devout COVID centrist. Um, and I do think Martin and Jay and GBD and all the signatories, um, including Cody Meissner and Johan Ludwigsen, were really right about a lot of things like um, nursing homes and like, um, you know, um, when it comes to the the zero COVID side, I think that they were probably more wrong. I, I hate to say it. I mean, the zero COVID, yeah. the John Snow memorandum signatories, the Rochelle Walensky who signed John Snow, um, and I would say the modelers, Imperial College London modelers. Um, Osterholm, I think, was right on a lot of things, but Osterholm was also the boy who cried wolf. He was wrong a few times about devastation. Um, but Osterholm, he, I think he actually know, he knew from the very beginning cloth masks were worthless. He tried to say it, but he got scared. Um, you know, a lot of people got scared away. But I think you're right about the idea that you have to be a synthesis person um, in the sense that no one person got everything right. Um, ironically, Eric Figelding was right about one thing. Like the first thing he said that this might be a real big deal, he was right about, but that allowed him to be wrong and pretty much everything else he said from that, you know, like getting, getting one thing right, you know, led to a lot of tolerance to be wrong. Yeah. You, you, okay. You, you, um, said something that's key here, which is it's really about the policy stuff retrospectively that yeah. was right and wrong. Because individual, like you said, making individual predictions is just a, it's almost a fool's errand, you know, right. like, oh, we're going to have herd immunity by this, or this is going to happen, or that's going to happen. Okay. Those, okay, fine. You can then pick a person apart and go, yeah, no, they were wrong about these facts, but hey, what about the actual policies? And honestly, from the beginning, I think we've been fairly consistent, um, in our in policy recommendations, thinking about schools, thinking about cloth masking, thinking about um, economic impacts, social impacts, those kind of things, and how to minimize those while maximizing. Who? You and I, you and I, I, I think you and I are the most right. We're the most right. Let's put that. Out. That's that's hands thank, down. Yeah, I, thanks, I didn't want. I didn't want to have to say that. The saying <laughs> what was in my heart, Vinay, because that. <laughs> No, I, let me let me refer to it as the synthesis tribe. Yes. So the people that you mentioned, the people that you mentioned, it's a it's a synthesis tribe, and uh, and although they'll be painted as antithesis or COVIDian or whatever by whoever doesn't like that particular thing, but I, so I think the policy recommendations were generally correct. Now, now this is the thing though. So how do you then respond? Because let me push back and say I'm a COVIDian. I'm more in the COVIDian. I'm a Rochelle Walensky. No, 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 no. Look at all the deaths. If we had done draconian lockdowns, full masking of the population, forced vaccination of everybody and had done all this, we would have had much less death. It would have been a true, not COVID zero, but COVID zero uh, bad outcomes as much as what we What would I say to such muster. a person? Mm -hmm. I would say, I would say, I would say, I hope they wouldn't even have the courage to say that. I mean, it's, del it's totally delusional in many ways. One, um, uh, I think um, you, you, can't, you can't wish you lived in a place you didn't live in. I, I saw somebody who was like, oh, the pandemic would have been different if we weren't so politically polarized. The pandemic wouldn't be, wouldn't, would be different if we were an authoritarian regime like China. Well, guess what? We're not. We are who we are. You have to do the best with the country you have. And it was very clear, very early on, that you would have a window where you would get unanimity. And that was the window where Fauci said, we got to hunker down. We all got to hunker down. That was his window. He had 15 days of unanimity. But the moment the unanimity broke, you will naturally get a plethora of views. Ron DeSantis, who many people don't like, 
Um, and you may disagree with him about all sorts of things, but Ron DeSantis was the only one, you know, in, in April who reopened schools. Um, you're going to get Ron DeSantis. You're going to get uh, uh, a governor in Texas. And so the Rochelle Walensky's who are said, you know, we should have locked down harder. I'm sorry. That's not an available op. She can go ahead and feel free to run China. Um, you can run China because that's where you can do what you think you want to do. Here we have to work with the country we have, and that's not an option. Um, so – I would say she's wrong. The other thing she's wrong about are, I mean, she's been wrong about so many things. Uh, I feel bad picking on her. Um, community cloth masking, like, you know, I've written, I mean, it never had good data. It was always sort of not true. And now they're finally admitting the truth. Um, the, the, I mean, we can talk about boosting and all these other things, but, you know, I think she's, she's, I'll be honest about her. I mean, this is, I hate to say it. It's also true about your friend, um, Vivek and, um, <laughs> and it's also true about, I think even Fauci, um, I mean, Rochelle is an academic and academics are good at a certain type of publishing, but she's an academic, but she, and she's not an academic in, in dirty, messy policy and political policy, political health policy. So the policy that is most uh, on the topic. Um, and, uh, and when you're not somebody who spends your time in that space, you can be seduced that you are more powerful or omnipotent than you really are because it's, it's really hard to, to make progress. Um, you can only make minor sort of course corrections. And I think, Z, I mean, the truth might be when this whole thing is all said and done and you stack up all the nations and you look how places did, um, aside from a few lucks of the draw, like that New Zealand and Australia have geographic isolation and they had very low seed load, you know, a lot of nations are going to look quite comparable. Sweden is already, nobody even talks about them anymore because they're looking quite comparable. And, and, and Netherlands and Denmark and Germany, and it'll be like, you know, we did, we did all these different things and we all ended up in roughly the same place. But some of us were able to keep our schools going and others of us chopped up our children and made them wear N95s and did all this crazy stuff, um, you know, and we're all in the same place. And so I think it's delusional to think that we could have done something magical. It was not possible, except for uh maybe not fun that, Wuhan lab in the first place. Maybe. <laughs> That's the thing you could have done. I, 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 you know, I hate to say it, but I agree with you fully. And I've been saying it from the beginning of the pandemic that most of our interventions aren't doing a whole lot. I think it is good to get vaccinated at your, if you're at risk. I think it's good to get vaccinated in general. That's that's all great and dandy. But in the end, if you look at all the differences around the world, like you said, I don't think we're gonna see much. And Omicron is a great equalizer because it's like, dude, nothing you do, nothing you do is going to really prevent you from getting Omicron at some point from running across it. So just be in the best shape you can when you get it. If you're at risk, you can lower risk. Now it's in your control. You can go buy an N95 mask on Amazon and you can wear it. You can go get vaccinated. You can choose not to go into big crowds. That's all fine. You can do that individually. Why as a policy should we mandate that for anyone? And why should we even be advocating it online? I think it's time. I mean, again, forget it. Forget what I think. What what I think uh, historically is, we. you're right. In America, we never could have gone on full China. By the way, China controls its social media, which already changes the parameter dramatically. They woke up and said, as authoritarians, hey, there's no way we can have a unified they have, thing here. They, they have the G-Dog MD show, the G-Dog MD. <laughs> <laughs> My boy G-Dog. Oh, G-Dog MD. Great. You know, he's the Xi Jinping sanctioned Z-Dog, you know? and, and I G like that. And, and G-Dog MD says that um, everything the state has done is appropriate and necessary and Thank you for your compliance. Okay, a few more tweets for you. G-Dog. Ni hao, G-Dog. Um, 
Imagine <laughs> this is by an <laughs> oh god, I can't even say this. Im- imagine if the USA and the United Kingdom had felt that it was too hard to fight the Nazis and had given up after less than two years of half-assed fighting, and then somebody says we deserve to have our asses kicked and it's coming. And this person writes back, healthcare workers do not deserve what's coming. And this person says, this is a doctor. No, but most have been pretty complicit in accepting surgical masks instead of N95s. So here you have a Nazi, a Nazi analogy. <laughs> you have everything in right one tweet. Oh, oh it's is, all here. This is by... This is by the same person who said, somebody asked this doctor, um, you know, when kids wear the N95, there's a gap at the nose. What should I do? And she writes back, you should put some tape there. Tape it up. Tape it up. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, wait. A few more. Um, Why do all the anti-vaxxers, anti-maskers get themselves arrested at Applebee's, Burger King, never any serious restaurants? What does it all mean? This is a blue blue check mark. And you know what it means is, you idiot. What it means is you're just screaming your your class. You're so classist. You don't even see what you've done. You're classist. They're blind to it. They're blind to it. Actually, can I say something about blindness really quick? So, and and again, somebody actually criticized me validly saying, stop using the word blindness. And again, I don't like word police, but he said, look, my son is blind. And when you say blindness as some kind of negative thing, it, it really does affect people who were born sightless and unsighted and so on. And and I said, okay, look, I'm ableist as fuck as it is. So I'll do my best not to use that term, but I'll say people are totally unaware of their own situation because they're part of a collective mind that is instantiated by their ability to use social media as a kind of neurotransmitter. And this collective mind feeds down to them in a way that they're unaware. And they then become completely clueless as to what's actually happening. And they behave in ways that seem so ridiculous if you're not in that hive mind. And so you you can see that in the elite, the people on Twitter who are saying stuff like this. Somebody living in the Midwest who's in a different hive mind, right? Or no hive mind because they don't use social media. Look at this guy and go, you are insane. You are a rich elite fuck. Yeah, exactly. That's what you are. And you don't even know you are. Uh, You know, but you know, I was thinking about the blind. I mean, it's really, I mean, what if you were to say some people have neglect, but then somebody could have a, a brain issue and have actual neglect, hemispheric the, neglect. The, 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 we're going to run a, out of- It's a slippery slope. It's a, it's a we very, can't, I mean, yeah. it's, I think it's tough to think of words that don't make anyone you, feel anything, you know? You know what? You know, you're right. And I don't, that's why I don't like the word policing at all. But the, part of the reason I brought that up is I wanted yeah. to give that person a shout yes, out a and shout say, out. Yeah, listen, yeah. I understand what it's yeah, like to yeah. feel marginalized and all of this. I get it. But again, we can't, it's very hard to change language. Like I can't, I've gotten criticized for using the word tribe when we talk about we're in this synthesis tribe or we're in this, well, you know, as a Native American, the word tribe has a certain meaning and it's actually a-, oh, a, a, a I saw that yeah, the Journal, yeah. of, Journal of Hospital Medicine has issued a strict apology because they talked about tribalism and- um, Really? Just, yeah, oh, there's a whole paper on it. It was like, well, they wrote a paper on tribalism and medicine and then they wrote an apology that we were wrong to use the word tribe. You know, oh man, come on! You know what I think. We, we, listen. It's, this it's is what much. you do it's when too I much. When, when I get e- when I what? get emails like that, I feel for the person because I know they're suffering in some way, and I write back and I say, "You're, I hear you, and I honor what you're saying." But the truth is, it's very hard for me to change how I speak because words are, and also words are words. So <laughs> they're not violence. They're not, you know. <laughs> let's. So <laughs> I gotta go because there's some cleaners here. All right, talk to you soon. 
All right, Vinay, thank you so much, everybody. Um, do us a favor, subscribe, leave a review to the podcast. It helps us tremendously. Check out Vinay's podcast, Plenary Session, and my own podcast, The Z-Dog MD Show, for deeper dives on all this stuff in different ways. We're gonna keep doing what we're doing with your support in a synthesis tribe. I'm gonna use the word way. Vinay, have fun uh, storming the castle today.